Let me bring in Mr. John Reed, president of the Toronto Police Association. Good day to you. Are you going to get on the golf course today? Or, or can we talk uh, about that? Or am I ratting you out? <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. he, no comment. That's what I heard. No comment. Um, <laughs> let's talk about a couple... A couple of headlines that are not new, but I think they're, they warrant conversation because they are certainly current and speak to the current situation, certainly when it talks to uh, gun crime. So Joe Warmington a, a few days ago reported on the fact that 1,100 people before the courts are, uh, you know, before the courts on firearm charges uh, that are currently free on bail. And it's worse apparently in Peel, York and Halton. Toronto Police and Durham Region Police have announced that the firearm bail dashboard, this is an interagency collaboration to f- share all firearm bail compliance data in real time, has now been brought in. So I want to talk to you about your reaction because you've talked a lot about catch and release, but that number there, are you surprised by it? Uh, I'm not surprised, but I think most members of the public would be you know, very, very surprised by that number. And it, it is a very large number. Um, you know, I think the reality is we also have to look at the seriousness of the charges these people are facing. Um, you know, our officers are doing their part. They're bringing uh, these offenders before the courts, and it's up to the courts to do theirs. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is they are getting out. And, and so when you get, um, you know, you've got this firearm bail dashboard, the bail dashboard. So how, how does that work? Um, is, it something that, is it something that already exists, or is this something that's being brought in? So this is something which is a new creation here from Toronto Police Service. And what it gives the officers the ability to do is on a real-time dashboard, they can see uh, in a particular area where there's uh, patrolling, say, they can actually Mm -hmm. see who uh, firearm bail in their area of patrol um, from the point of view of where they live and where they reside. And where the benefit of that is, obviously, if there's bail enforcement or bail compliance checks that need to be done, uh, officers have the ability to go and do that to try and ensure that these individuals who are released on these firearm offenses are actually complying with their bail because that's one of the huge issues that we have. We have these individuals, uh, you know, they're caught with loaded illegal firearms, um, not following the court-ordered releases. Okay, so does this mean pe- when people are stopped, they do this check? No, so, so the, the check itself, um, when someone's actually stopped, they obviously can check on CPIC. They can find out what condition somebody's on. But this uh, app actually provides real-time data, and it will provide um, an area where someone lives at that residence. You'll know that uh, a person lives there, that person's on firearm offenses. If they end up uh, coming across the person in the street as a course of an investigation, they can also use that resource as well to check the uh, conditions as well. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that there are going to be an awful lot of people running around the streets of Toronto and the GTHA who are on gun uh, charges, are on bail, and the police won't be able to do any cross-reference because a lot of times the guns come out before that happens. Oh, absolutely. And one of the you know common problems we run into nowadays um, is that the individuals who are armed with firearms, um, and they may be from competing uh, groups, uh, when right. they come across each other, they used to actually have to take a sober second thought and go and retrieve their firearm. But these days, individuals are carrying their firearm and we end up with a gunfight in the street. You know, and this is one of the huge issues which I've been talking about lately is, you know, it's bad enough these individuals are shooting each other, but I'm really concerned and the public should be concerned about stray rounds. Um, well, this yeah, is yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, sorry, you cut off a little bit. I was just, uh, Betsy Powell, um, who covers courts for the Toronto Star, just actually did a story a, a showing a shooting at a birthday party for, a, I think it was a one-year-old boy. Uh, father uh, pulls out gun, uh, is accused of, of shooting. They get into a shootout, and, and and the mother of the child carrying the child was like inches away from getting shot by, by you know, we've seen the Wendy's video where you've got girls ordering a chicken sandwich and a bullet coming through the window. That stuff's happening more and more. It, it is, and we never used to see this before, you know, but I think the proliferation of these legal firearms, um, the individuals using them are using them without any care at all. Um, and when the, you know, we had an incident where our officers from the Gun and Gang Task Force went to arrest an individual who retreated back into a house and they just were started firing out of the house indiscriminately, you know, once again, forcing people in the neighborhood where he was residing to go hide in their basements. And this should be and is unacceptable. And our members see this, you know, a lot. And they're very concerned about it as well. Yeah, I mean, we, sh we shouldn't kid the listeners. Um, you know, a lot of stuff is not reported. Like, we, we don't report nearly uh, the actual stuff going on because we just don't have enough. Re we couldn't keep up with it. And so a lot of the stories that face police, a lot of the violence actually go untold, sadly. Um, again, I don't think people need to hear more because we already know it's really violent. So so having said all this, and I'm going to ask you this probably weekly, any new conversations uh, from the mayor uh, now elected about bail reform? Anything from the federal government? Like, has any movement happened? <laughs> No, uh, nothing recently that I'm aware of. Um, you know, we continue to advocate uh, for stronger bail conditions, bail reform, better um, bail conditions. But one of the things we really need to do is make sure that the actual judiciary uh, take note of what the public is seeing, what the public is feeling, and actually impose, you know, very stringent bail conditions if they have to release somebody. But more importantly, you know, when the balance comes to do we defend, look after the public, or do we look after the individual, it has to be weighted towards the public. The public needs to be protected from some of these individuals that do not care what about a bail. They just want to get, be released and they're back at it again. And there's, you know, yeah. instances where our members will arrest somebody with a firearm and then they get caught again with another one. Sure, they'll rent it from uh, whomever. I mean, look, they, they also wear it as street cred. You know, it's just the more they go in and come out, they wear it as street cred. Um, but, you know, to, to your point, we're all about restorative justice in this country now, and, and we're going the very wrong way. Pardon the train now going by my house. Um, the other one I wanted to talk to you about, because I thought it was a really uh, big decision that's going to have, I think, some trickle-off effects, because it is a Supreme Court decision which declared unconstitutional to an order uh, of all sex offenders being put onto the National Sex Offender Registry on conviction um, they believed and this was in a case of a 19 year old man who got drunk at a party and sexually assaulted two women I guess the court just didn't think that was fair that he should be on a sex offender registry for the rest of uh, his life I think a lot of women would certainly disagree or those who have been violated by a sex crime but there raises a couple of questions or a number of questions do we have to change, and I've never liked the category of sex assault because it does not tell the story of what we're dealing with. You can have a sex assault charge that has a full-on rape, a violent rape, or a pat on the butt. They're not the same crime. Is it time, John, that we change how we charge and, and what we call these charges when we're talking about sex crimes? Well, I think there's um, definitely a case for it. Uh, that's something, once again, that would fall at the feet of the federal government. Um, you know, in speaking with the, when you start looking at the um, sexual offender registry itself, once again, this is the decision that's gone into the favor of the accused. And, and, I, and I keep talking about this. We need more of these going towards the, the community and the victim.
you know, because yeah. it really does the, the impact on these victims um, when they get this. You know, sexual sexual offenses are the most underreported crimes. Yeah. You know, and these survivors can experience lifelong trauma. Yeah, and, and, and they never get the sentence or the punishment to fit the crime. They go in and out and in and out and in and out. You know, I think back to the days of covering off Holly Jones, who was murdered and dismembered. Um, you know, and, and we learn after the fact because of this registry that what there was 294, I'd have to get the right number, but 294 sex offenders living within a mile of, of that child's house. If we don't have these registries, um, you know, people don't, ha- and it's more the police, they don't have the tools of what they need. My concern is a lot of people are going to be able to argue their way off of it. I mean, the Paul Bernardos weren't, aren't going to get off it. The high profile guys won't get off of it, but there will be a lot of people who can have a lawyer argue their way off this list who should not be off this list. Yeah, that's correct. You know, and traditionally, you know, in years past before this came, the judges um, had the ability to decide whether or not, and the Crown would have to bring it before uh, the yeah. judge to decide whether he would go on to the registry or not. Um, and I think this is really a step back. You know, stronger deterrence for violent crimes, you know, that's in the best interest of the general public and the victims. It should be, but even as you know, I mean, even to get a dangerous offender status, I mean, it doesn't just happen. Like a guy like Paul Bernardo gets convicted of what he did, and then it's, you have to apply to make him a dangerous offender. Yeah, like it shouldn't be that many steps. Yeah, you're a dangerous offender. Bye. But again, everything's a process. And so to see the courts continually erode this and walk them back, not helping. Yeah, and the courts themselves and, and Canadian law, it's always constantly evolving. I just think we need to, and the public needs to put their pressure on the uh, members of the legis- legislature, on uh, politicians, to start steering toward a more um, uh, public-centric, uh, community-centric, and victim-centric piece, and get away from always, I shouldn't say always, but commonly leaning towards the, uh, the offender themselves. Yeah, it's called the scales of justice. They've got a way out somewhere in the fairness range, but they don't these days. Nonetheless, we will uh, talk again next week and see what uh, the headlines bring us. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Alex. Take care. Bye-bye. That is John Reed, president of the uh, Toronto Police Association. They do their job, and then it's uh, these days, the courts just undo it. Uh, Frankly, I think it's just ridiculous.